Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, March 20th, 2022. May God use this as a blessing to you today. And now, Pastor John Gentry. Would you join me uh, in prayer? Gracious God, we thank you that you have proved yourself to be trustworthy. You have shown us just how deep and powerful your love is and that we can abide in you. We pray, oh God, that you would abide in us this morning uh, as we come continue in worship this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> well, uh, Netflix is uh, scheduled, hold on, there we go. Uh, Netflix is scheduled to release a new film uh, called The Swimmers sometime this year. Uh, it's based on a real-life story of two sisters, uh, Yusra and Sarah Mardini. Um, chances are that you've heard of their story that made global news and back in 2015 um, at the height of the Syrian civil war, which is uh, still going on today. The sisters' homes was destroyed, and uh, as teenagers, they fled the country uh, to seek shelter uh, as refugees in Turkey. Uh, they were competitive swimmers uh, and were determined to uh, continue their swim training in Germany. Uh, and so they eventually left Turkey and they paid smugglers to take them by boat to Greece, uh, where they would continue their travels northward. Uh, you've probably seen photos of these types of refugee boats that they usually um, travel in. Uh, they're often small rubber dinghies that... Um, you know, maybe fit, uh, normally you're supposed to fit 8 or 10 or 12 people, uh, but desperate times call for desperate measures and desperate for a chance to stay alive uh, and to have a full life. Uh, refugees will often do whatever it takes, crowding these small boats with numbers two or three times over their capacity. Um, of course, there are other risks as well, you know, can the smugglers be trusted? Uh, and will they hold up their bargain? Uh, and will they survive the journey? Um, this was the kind of situation that the Mardini sisters found themselves in as they boarded a small dinghy with about 18 other people on a path to cross a small portion of the Aegean Sea from an island of Turkey to an island in Greece. Uh, and half an hour out to sea, the motor died. <clears throat> And the boat began to take on water, and many people on the boat did not know how to swim. So this was a truly frightening experience. All luggage that people had brought was thrown overboard to lighten the load. Uh, and Yusra and Sarah, who were trained swimmers, and two other people jumped into the water to swim with and guide the boat for about three and a half hours uh, before finally reaching the Greek island of Lesbos. Uh, you know, a lot has happened since that fateful day of 2015. The, the Mardini family resides in Germany uh, and has been granted asylum there. Um, in addition to the upcoming film and the countless news articles and interviews, uh, their story has been retold in a chapter of uh, Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls and also in an autobiography called Butterfly from Refugee to Olympian, My Story of Rescue, Hope, and Triumph. <clears throat> Yusra Mardini went on to compete in the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio, 
uh, and in the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, uh, which shows you her resilience uh, and incredible determination. Uh, her older sister, Sarah, returned to Lesbos multiple times to be involved in humanitarian efforts to aid other refugees, people like herself who had making that perilous trip, uh, which actually was not without controversy, as you might expect, considering what we've witnessed in pretty much any case of refugee crisis as governments and citizens raise questions about who can be trusted. You know, I mentioned earlier about the questionable trustworthiness of hired smugglers. Uh, in the case of Yusra and Sarah, it turns out that they were being transported by a friend of their father's, and so they were okay. But in other cases, it isn't uncommon for refugees to become the victims of extortion and violence. And so we ask, who can be trusted? And what will people do with the money that we give them? Those are the questions that we will be dealing with as we enter into the third week of our Lenten ser sermon series entitled, Before All Things. Uh, it's a title that's based off Colossians 1.17 that reads, Jesus himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And we will be uh, gluing our attention uh, to those words on Easter Sunday, uh, but for now, we have another passage in Scripture uh, that we are sticking to. Uh, we are working, on our, working our way through chapters 8 and 9 of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And uh, kind of like a Sarlacc pit from the Star Wars universe, we're digesting these chapters slowly, methodically, intentionally. Uh, as for all of you Star Wars fans, in our Scripture reading today, verses 16 through 24... Paul is notifying the uh, Corinthian church that he is sending some colleagues of his to that church in Corinth, and he wants them to, to get ready. He wants that church to be ready for their arrival. And so they're on their way to help collect uh, a special offering the church had previously agreed to. And as we learned last week, Paul was urging them to follow through on their commitment. <clears throat> He writes in verses 10 and 11 from last week's scripture reading, It is appropriate for you who began last year uh, not only to do something, but even to, de to desire to do something. Now finish doing it so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. We learn in Paul's letter that their eagerness uh, had, uh, had waned because of a falling out with Paul and they had gotten cold feet on this fundraiser that, that Paul is collecting for the poor in Jerusalem. Have you ever felt uh, like backing out of a commitment? Uh, especially when a situation got uncomfortable uh, or tense. Uh, and if you were considering backing out, did you ask yourself if it was, if it was worth going through or to keep, to keep with it? Did you ask yourself if the people that you were committing to, to helping could be trusted. Um, that's how the church in Corinth felt when their relationship with Paul became strained. Um, and they started to slowly back down from their pledges to contribute to Jerusalem to the Jerusalem collection. Words were said, feelings were hurt, misunderstandings happened, uh, and as with any real argument, trust needed to be rebuilt. Uh, when it comes to relationships, trust is one of the most important things. Um, the 
to maintain. Trust can be lost in a moment uh, or it can erode over time. But either way, in most cases, if there's no trust, there's no relationship. Uh, And the same holds true to giving. There needs to be a baseline of trust for people to feel comfortable giving. Am I right? You know, in a survey of 3,000 donors who had given money to nonprofits, uh, the Network for Good asked people who were uh, giving what inspired them to give. And here are the top eight reasons. Um, uh, you'll notice the top four all have to do with trustworthiness. I know the nonprofit's mission, and it does good work. Uh, I believe the nonprofit will use my gift to stabilize or expand programming. The nonprofit communicates program outcomes, and I know someone that benefited from the nonprofit. Um, people want to know, you know, can I trust the organization to do what it says it will do uh, with my money, and uh, and will it make a difference? Imagine with me um, in a world where just say anything could happen, uh, and you could. Get your hands on a magic wand, or a genie bottle, or infinity gauntlet, or fill in the blank, and you use it to erase greed and hoarding from the world completely. Um, Even in that fictitious scenario where people didn't have the capacity for greed, uh, people would still be cautious about the way that we share our resources. And there's a lot of reasons, but one significant reason is that there are two sides to the coin of charitable giving. One side has to do with the generosity of the giver, um, but it's not just about how stingy or generous the giver is. It's also the other side of the coin. It has to do with the trustworthiness of the person or organization that's using it for charity. Um, it would be um, you know, unwise, sorry, unwise not to consider their motives, their, their struggle, their strategies, their, their transparency, their competency, you know, these are things that we look for when we're giving. We want to know, you know, that it's going to be used appropriately. Uh, and uh, Best writes this about the risk of being transparent. One peril facing those who collect money is the accusation that, under the pretense of caring for those in need, they have been lining their own pockets. Uh, today, competent outside auditing of accounts remove any possible danger. No such auditing was possible in the ancient world. Um, So referring to uh, how people could be vetted back in the day, and she says that, you know, know, auditing is is one thing that we can do. I don't know if I I would say that uh, it completely removes the danger of mishandling, uh, but things like that do help considerably. And when it comes to churches and nonprofits, you know, there's lots of ways that they can be held accountable, sort of like a system of checks and balances. For example, um, with larger ones, uh, with a budget of a million dollars or up, Charity Navigator rates organizations. uh, And they rate them based on uh, finance and accountability, impact and results, leadership and uh, adaptability, and then culture and community. Uh, In fact, they often provide these little pie charts that shows Um, How much of the budget goes towards administrative expenses? How much goes towards fundraising? And then how much is actually used on the programs that they are uh, offering? You know, on our church app, as Pastor Jim mentioned, you know, the fourth item on the home screen is a link to UMCOR. 
and the relief efforts in Ukraine. Uh, um, of course, of course, stands for the United Methodist Committee on Relief. Um, it's an agency of our United Methodist Church that, or the denomination that brings disaster relief, also long-term uh, development, both here in the U.S. of A. and also worldwide. Uh, and one of the best things about UMCOR, in my opinion, is the way that they put their dollars to work. As Pastor, mentioned, as Pastor Jim mentioned in his announcements, they do annual fundraisers uh, to, to, uh, to cover their overhead. Um, like, for example, some churches next week will be uh, supporting UMCOR Sunday. And these annual fundraisers completely cover all of their administrative costs, which means that Every penny that's given to a specific UMCOR project will be going to that project. So if you're giving to Ukraine, every penny goes to relief efforts in Ukraine. You can count on 100% of your gift. And, uh, you know, not surprisingly, you want to guess what uh, rating Charity, Charity Navigator gave them? Uh, they gave them four out of four stars with 90.94 out of 100 rating, which is pretty good. So, you know, when it comes to handling and the use of other people's money, integrity matters, uh, transparency matters, competency matters, and Paul knew that, and so he addresses that in his letter, uh, and in verses 20 through 21, Paul writes, we intend that no one should blame us about this generous gift that we're administering, for we intend to do what is right, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of others. And I'm sorry for the, there seems to have been a, a technical error with the way that the uh, slides are coming through, but that's, you can skip the gist of it. You know, the message version puts it this way. Uh, we don't want anyone suspecting us of taking one penny of this money for ourselves. We're being as careful in our reputation with the public as our reputation with God. You know, doing what is right in the Lord's sight, uh, it's a powerful way of being honest about uh, what we're up to right. Uh, most people who are asking what's right in the Lord's sight uh, are listening to their conscience. They're praying for wisdom. Uh, but here's the thing. Even if you feel totally at peace with your decision making, that's not a free pass to ignore what other people are asking about or noticing or uh, have no interest in accountability, Right? Um, you know, recently I was listening to a, a story in a podcast uh, by a Methodist pastor uh, in Texas who had recalled one eve of Easter in 1960 uh, in his final year of seminary in Dallas. Uh, and that Saturday night, uh, after giving a friend a ride home, Wayne, uh, Wayne's car ran out of gas uh, on a country road uh, that he didn't know very well at night. Uh, he ended up walking 30 minutes to the closest establishment, which was a roadhouse uh, that was surrounded by pickup trucks and motorcycles. And so he'd intended just to go inside and simply ask for help, but uh, was quickly invited to a game of pool. And so he had suspicions that maybe he might have looked like an eager, or an easy target for being hustled in pool. Uh, but as, the, as luck would have it, and as the game went on, his rusty skills from high school suddenly came alive, and somehow he ended up taking the game with ease, of course. Uh, so ironically, the, the man uh, he'd been playing against, along with the, his posse of friends, immediately 
accused him of being a pool hustler and began asking questions about why he was there. And uh, I'm sure Wayne probably uh, had to think about what he was gonna, how he was going to respond. He could have told them he didn't owe them any explanation, just walked away. He could have gotten defensive and maybe turned the tables around on them, saying it seemed like you were trying to hustle me. Uh, but instead he tells them his, his situation and he explains that he needed to get back home because he'd be preaching the next morning uh, for Easter Sunday. Uh, you know, Wayne's story ends up taking a, a surprising turn. One of the, the men wasn't religious and, and had questions about the meaning of Easter that he'd always wanted to ask but never had the opportunity. And, and the group gave him a lift back to his car and they filled his tank with enough gas to get home. And the next morning, to his delight, a fleet of motorcycles pulled up outside his church to hear him preach on Easter Sunday. You know, we, uh, we don't always owe people an explanation for everything that we're doing, uh, but there are moments when it pays off, uh, and there are moments when the situation calls for it, and when it comes to the generous uh, gifts of donors, Paul knew that it's very important to do what is right, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of others. Uh, Best, the uh, theologian Best writes this, Paul knew that many traveling philosophers and teachers in his contemporary world took advantage of their position to deceive others and to satisfy their own greed. You know, some things never change. There were con artists then, there's con artists today. Uh, And Paul wants to separate himself as far as he can from the cunning and the deceitful of his day. At a uh, previous church that I attended, there was a young adult who decided to move up to Oregon. Um, And he didn't have any connections up there, so he decided to find housing on Craigslist. Uh, I had seen him making some hasty and sort of short decided uh, decisions, and so I kind of cautioned him. I said, maybe you should slow down and, and think through things, but uh, he had, uh, one of the things, he had, he had just gotten back into a relationship that had a history of problems, and so there was a red flag there, and then they were going to move up there together, and that was a red flag, and he found a landlord who was willing to lease him an apartment and, and asked him for the deposit in advance, the first and last month's rent, uh, to be wired to him, a landlord that he'd never met, that he met on Craigslist, red flag. Well, the young adult wired in the money, and after he sent the money, the landlord, of course, cut off all communication. The poor guy had been hustled. You know, sadly, uh, there are way too many examples of this to count. You know, the emails from wealthy princes who want to leave you, you, a share of their treasure and fortune. Uh, the, the, the extended warranty robocalls about your car um, that uh, yeah, the, the fake, fake debt collectors from the IRS, which actually is a major problem, um, and people you know, end up losing you know, entire uh, retirements because of this. Uh, the infamous Bernie Madoff scandal that uh, became a $64 billion fraud, which was the largest Ponzi scheme in history. Uh, and actually, just last month, Netflix released a true crime a documentary film called The Tinder Swindler. I like that name. It just, it just rolls off your tongue. The, tindler, the Tinder Swindler. Try saying that three times fast. Um, it's about an, an Israeli con man 
uh, named Simon Lviv, uh, who would get on Tinder, which is this dating application. Uh, he'd turn up the charm with his dates. Uh, he'd get it, you know, he'd build some sense of trust and rapport with them. And then later, uh, by text or phone call, he'd convince them that he needed emergency funds to escape some kind of life-threatening danger. Um, all of which was totally true, right? And uh, of course, these poor people, uh, poor people would give him the money and then he'd use that money to take another person on an expensive and lavish date and continue the con. Um, you know, here's, this, here's the synopsis from Netflix. Posing as a wealthy, jet-setting diamond mogul, he wooed women in line that conned them out of millions of dollars and now some victims plan for payback. I mean, it, it literally, it doesn't even sound real, but this is something that actually happened. Um, I'm sure you can think of other examples. Uh, the point is that where there is money, there's almost certainly an opportunity for someone with bad motives to make a profit. Uh, P.T. Barnum is sometimes credited as saying, a sucker is born every minute. Uh, and the Apostle Paul wants the church in Corinth to know that they aren't being bait, bait and switched. He's not trying to make them a sucker. He stands behind the integrity of the mission. And so that's where uh, Titus and the other two travelers come into play. By sending a delegation to the church in Corinth, Paul is not only holding the church accountable to its earlier commitment, but also providing some assurances um, by providing other well-known people who can vouch for the trustworthiness of this collection. You know, Paul seems to say, even if you don't trust me, trust these guys. They, they, they should be able to reassure you that this project is worth supporting. And uh, with each of these three leaders that Paul sends, he gives them different reasons to trust the offering. Uh, Matera writes this, the delegation that Paul sends to Corinth is carefully balanced to the extent that one of the envoys has been chosen by the, one of the churches uh, and the other is proven associate of Paul. And since Paul mentions only Titus by name, however, it's apparent that he has placed Titus in charge of this delicate mission. Uh, and so um, with the unnamed leader of verse 18, who is famous among all the churches for his proclaiming of the good news, the church in Corinth gets an outside reference. And with the unnamed leader in verse 22, who is now more than... More, who is more eager than ever because of his great confidence in you, the church gets a leader who has finally, or who has been thoroughly vetted, someone that's been tested. And finally, with Titus, one of Paul's most trusted uh, partners in ministry and someone who had already worked to bring reconciliation between Paul and Corinth, the church gains an advocate and a friend. Uh, might have been tempted for someone of Paul's authority status, uh, the one who had founded the church in Corinth, uh, and the one who gave instructions to the churches all across the ancient Mediterranean world, might have been tempting just to flex his weight as an apostle and strong-arm the church in Corinth, guilt them into holding up their end of the deal. Uh, but, pa but Paul is not a mob boss. He gets what he wants. Uh, and he's not sending his henchmen to shake them down. Uh, Far from it. Uh, instead, we see Paul laying aside his ego and acting with care and sensitivity uh, as he handpicks leaders who fit the needs of an unconvinced community. 
uh, as Miner writes, our ego gratification is not as important as the work that God has given us to do. Many of us know someone. No, many of us know situations where someone's ego harmed the ministry uh, to which he or she has been called. Let us resolve to imitate Paul in such matters rather than these others, that we can find ways to lay aside our ego and that we can remember that what God has called us to do, whether we are the givers or whether we are the recipients, that we would be trustworthy, just as Paul is calling himself and the church and the leaders to be. You know, there's one thing that all uh, members of Paul's delegation have in common, um, and by the way, this is sort of the climax of Paul's argument in our scripture reading today. All three leaders have experienced God's grace and as a result are filled with an eagerness to complete the collection for Jerusalem. It's, you'll see that in the red, it happens four times, the word eager, in this passage. Um, and so for Paul, it it's, goes beyond merely following orders or towing the line you know, the driving force behind this collection, all the way from its conception to the boots on the ground, is God's grace that fills us with an eagerness to be a part of what God is doing. This eagerness uh, to be a part of something that's much bigger than ourselves, um, that comes as a result of God's grace working in our hearts, working in the hearts of everyone who encounters it. You know, so for anyone tapping into that grace... It shouldn't feel like drudgery, right? Whether you're being asked to give or whether you're being asked to go and do something, it shouldn't feel like having your teeth pulled. It should be exciting. It should be joyful. That is what the grace of God is all about. Uh, Scientific American published an article in 2012 on the psychology of giving. And uh, the article affirms that most humans want to be as generous as possible. Studies have shown that human brains enjoy the sense of joy, sorry, yeah, of being a gift giver as opposed to being a recipient of gifts. Whereas Paul says in Acts 20, in all this I have given you an example by such work we may support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, You know, one of my favorite podcasts is a storytelling podcast called The Moth. Uh, features storytellers from all over the world uh, and from all levels of expertise, including uh, published authors uh, as well as famous individuals and even people stepping up to the mic for the first time. And uh, in a playlist uh, titled, Who Can You Trust? Uh, There's a story that Abraham Leno tells about finding hope from the kindness of a stranger. He tells the story of growing up in Sierra Leone uh, in a happy home with uh, parents who taught him the value of learning and of being kind. He says uh, that we were taught to, uh, we were taught to love. Uh, we were taught to have respect and compassion, uh, but above all, kindness. We even had a catchphrase that we used in our home to depict kindness. One was, uh, happy to share, happy to bear, one another's burdens, that's why we're here. Uh, He dreamed of becoming an engineer one day, uh, but when he turned 16, war broke out in Sierra Leone. Uh, The war that would ravage uh, that country for a decade 
started in the town where he grew up. Uh, his family crossed over uh, during this war-torn time over into Guinea and uh, became refugees. And life was very, very hard for the family. And by the time, 10 years later, by the time that uh, Abraham had reached the age of 26, he had begun to lose hope of ever amounting to anything. Uh, yet it was in that darkest moment that a stranger stepped in to make a generous donation that would give him a leg up and hope for the future. You see, uh, during that time that Abraham had served as a soldier and had been away, a tourist from Holland named Gerald had visited Guinea and by happenstance had made friends uh, with Abraham's parents. And uh, this man, Gerald, would later call them from time to time to ask how the family was doing and to check up and just ask about Abraham. Well, one day later on, when, he, when they had heard that Abraham's uh, when uh, Gerald had heard from Abraham's parents that Abraham had returned from war, uh, feeling des- uh, despair about his own future, Gerald offered to pay for Abraham's college education, which was too expen- uh, expensive for the family to afford. Well, today Abraham is the executive director of Eastern Congo Initiative uh, and has made strides not only in his own career, but in humanitarian efforts and helping other people. And by the way, the Eastern Congo Initiative has got a 100 out of 100 rating on Charity Navigator. He, uh, he ends his story at the end of that moth 10-minute, uh, 11-minute story like this. He said, I still have never met Gerald, but he, uh, but he is the kindness embodied for me. Every day that I do work, I remember the words through his kindness that we sung in our house, happy to share, happy to bear, one another burdens. That's why we're here. And I don't know what God is stirring in your heart uh, today, whether you're here in person or worshiping online, but I can say with confidence that God's grace is available to you today to change your life and everyone around you. You know, the truth is that we, never, we may never know the full effect of the generosity that we put into practice. You know, if you've recently given to UMCOR, you may never get to meet the people that you've pro- provided relief for or to know uh, what hope it gave them. If you've given offerings uh, to our church, you may never know the full extent of ministry opportunities that your gift has created, the people impacted by those uh, ministries. But... Uh, For the people sitting in our pews, we are witnesses that God's grace can do amazing things and has done amazing things in our lives, and that the eagerness which God puts within us to give is something that is truly transforming not only for ourselves, but for our community. You know, today you can know the joy and the eagerness that bubbles up in your heart when you open yourself up to God's amazing grace. So my prayer for us today as we move into the final portion of our worship service is that we will find opportunities during this time of Lent uh, to give according to our means and in doing so, fulfill Paul's words to the church in Corinth. Show them the proof of your love. May we be able to do that today in in these coming weeks of Lent. Amen? Amen.